All right, how's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we're talking to founders about their companies, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. Today, I'm very excited to be talking to Arjun Patel, who is co-founder and CEO of WorkCloud. Welcome to the show. How's it going? Good, good. Thanks for having me, Matt. I really appreciate it. And uh, I'm excited to talk about my business and learn more about <laughs> uh, other subjects. Yeah, I feel like I definitely have, as mentioned before we started recording, this is actually recent. This is a, I think it's because I'm getting more comfortable with the podcast, but I literally bring up the most obscure topics with some guests and, and I feel like everyone just kind of hangs and it just no, just talk, just jams. Like everyone's a jammer that comes on the podcast. It's great. <laughs> so looking forward to jamming on topics that neither of us yeah. have business talking about, but to start, you do have a, you, you are able to talk about at least one thing and that's your company. You know, a lot of people listening don't know what it is. Uh, and uh, so let's, let's start there. What, what are you working on? What is WorkCloud? Yeah, um, so WorkCloud originally started off as like an ERP MRP, but then slowly transitioned to a thing we call performance support software. Essentially, performance support software is um, oh, like a software and mobile application to help industrial labor, like manufacturers, construction workers, warehouse workers, to help them reach their highest potential while they're on the job by centralizing on-the-job training, troubleshooting, safety quality procedures, knowledge building, performance tracking, etc. So what is an example of, uh, if you don't mind sharing, you can do hypothetical or real, mm -hmm. like what would, who would be a company that would use WorkCloud just to help us understand that your persona of, of who you're targeting with this? Yeah. Um, so I would say a, a, like a big company that could use this is like someone like General Electric or even Amazon Warehouse. Um, that'd be a good example of like who would be able to use the software because it's not necessarily like process focused it's more people focused people who have deskless work uh pretty much the deskless workforce that's how we sort of phrase it is people who don't necessarily work behind the computer they're working on some sort of operation let's say they're building uh a tesla like tesla would be a really good example actually tesla is building cars there's a lot of technical work that's involved and sometimes like initial training doesn't fit the needs uh, of the operator to actually perform to the highest ability. Uh, so one thing they can use our software for is if they're building a component on the operational floor, production line, they could reference information using QR code and scanning the QR code and they'll see, be able to see like their work instructions um, for that particular process. So that's like just one example of performance support is, is used uh, on the manufacturing floor. Wow. That's actually really interesting. So you're, Huh. So do your workers, I mean, do your end users not interact with the GUI? Like is the GUI for people that don't know the graphic user interface, is it just the real world or I guess I don't totally understand. Can you elaborate a little more <laughs> yeah. on, on that front? Yeah. Um, so it, it's, it's performance support is actually um, a fairly new software category. Uh, it, it, the first mention of it was back in 2016. Um, probably earlier than that, but then the first one that's like more mainstream mentioned, um, basically it's a mechanism or resource that, uh, helps employees improve their skills and use the collective knowledge to maximize the productive output. So I guess putting it simply, um, in this use case, uh, let's say a Tesla operator is working on a specific machine, or let's say they're working on like, just like the tablet part of the Tesla. 
and there's uh, different types of components for that tablet. And uh, in original manufacturing, what they would do is just, they would just reference like manuals or big heavy textbooks or just use tribal knowledge to actually uh, complete that task. But in our, uh, what we provide is like a mobile application or a desktop application, whatever is available to them. And for every single step of the process, they have a reference of that material. And they could also uh, ping people who know that that particular product really well um, if they're running into an issue. So there's like a whole issue tracking component to it too. So there, think of it as like a bunch of tools that like a tool belt that an operator on a manufacturing floor can use to reference knowledge. And you mentioned that this is a newer industry or newer maybe sector of the industry. Why? Like, why is it new now? Meaning what, ha like, I guess this might be like an investor style question, but like, why, like, <laughs> yeah. why, 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 I mean, I, but I'm just curious, like, I'm curious, like, why is this happening now? I mean, it just sounds like, honestly, from my perspective, who literally knows nothing about the industry, it sounds extremely useful, but so obscure. I'm surprised anyone figured out <laughs> that it was a, that it was, there was a use for it. Right. So like yeah. you obviously figured it out. Mm -hmm. How, like, you know, let's actually start there. You know, why did you think that this was something you wanted to work on and, and, and build for? Um, yeah, kind of what, what's your, your background, or not your background, but the reason you started this company? Yeah, so uh, that's a good question. Uh, my dad, he was a, a manufacturer, or he is, he's still a manufacturer. He, uh, he grew his company from zero, uh, just himself, one employee, to 250 employees. Uh, and I was there every step of the way growing up on the uh, the factory floor like when other kids were playing outside uh, I was working in the factory um, helping my dad because I was so interested in like what he was doing and uh, what he was what he was working on and to give you a little bit of background he was a packaging manufacturer so that's like people who make uh, like cereal boxes or PSP boxes like my dad um, he made I don't know if you ever played World of Warcraft or Starcraft uh, he made the, the boxes that the CDs were in so the CD-ROM boxes um, for it. That's, That's dope. Yeah, the PS when PSP came out, he's making all the boxes for PSP too, and uh, and I, I saw him like struggle uh, like operationally in terms of like the like there's this concept called like lean manufacturing. I'm pretty sure um, a lot of people know about it. Like Agile was pretty much taken from lean manufacturing uh, in software development, but basically. Uh, you could only take lean so far if you don't have certain software tools to implement into your factory. Like there's ERPs, uh, which is like enterprise resource planning software that um, at, like you could probably reference the names like SAP, Oracle, that they're like one of the market leaders for ERP. And uh, my dad never had an ERP. And originally I built up um, like a, a more lightweight ERP for him, for him to actually increase his productivity and, that's where the first initial product came from. And then it sort of, then I realized like the process wasn't necessarily the problem because he was able to grow it to $50 million in revenue. It was the people behind it that was actually executing the process. And we realized there's like a white space opportunity right here, especially like there's three reasons like why um, performance support is slowly growing into a more dominant software category. One, the skills gap is widening as output is increasing, meaning uh, there's more and more automation in the, works, uh, in the workplace. Uh, so there's a chance of displacement for workers 
So they need uh, a learning and development tool to actually uh, keep up with, uh, with the half-life of skills available. Um, so people need to learn skills faster, and the best way to do that is making sure that you give them a career path within software to, to get there. For instance, there is this one Spanish manufacturer. They spent $29 million on a learning development tool, which is pretty much performance support. And uh, it was a way for these... Sorry, can you hear me? I think my, my headphones went off. Yep, I can hear you. You're good. Hold on. All right, there's this one Spanish manufacturer that invested $29 million into a performance support, ingrown, um, homegrown performance support tool to help with, um, uh, sh I guess, shortening the skills gap between their operators. Uh, because they knew like automation was taking a lot of the operators business, um, like, I guess like jobs and they're displacing a lot of these operators. So what, what this performance support was doing is helping uh, shorten the gap between the skills. And that's another por portion of performance support. It's skills and training, acquiring new skills through um, either original content or content created within the factory. Uh, so there's, very different assets uh, of performance support, it's sort of like wide ranging. So that's why it's like always like such a obscure category of software. Um, another aspect is like training employees are, is very costly. Like it costs around like $5,000 per new hire to train them, to onboard them. And then um, around $2,000, $3,000 per year to retrain them on uh, new things where performance support sort of sh shortens that amount of time of them to onboard and also decreases the cost of the actually uh, um, make, retraining. They don't have to retrain because they have on-the-job support now. And then the third reason is the demogra demographics of the manufacturer uh, is working against, like I, I guess, the grain. The average age of a highly skilled U.S. manufacturer worker is around like 60, and there isn't that much replacement in in terms of, of labor. So there's a huge labor shortage, but there is an opportunity for uh, uh, displaced workers in other industries like trucking to get into manufacturing. Um, I don't know if you knew this, but around 29 of the 50 states, trucking is the most prominent job in, uh, in the US. So with the automation of like self-driving trucks, um, leading by Uber and Bark and a few other uh, huge truck manufacturers or tr truck um, uh, automation uh, software providers. There, uh, there's going to be the biggest displacement of blue collar workers in the history of America. And the only jobs uh, that could, the only job that can essentially um, makes more sense for those type of workers is manufacturing. They need to get ramped up in highly skilled, uh, skilled work and uh, manufacturing, uh, is a good fit for them because uh, it's blue collar. There's a shortage in demographics of people coming into manufacturing, and there's a need for um, uh, like skill ramp up essentially. So that that's what's going on. That's what performance support is is helping with. So I know there's like sort of a <laughs> uh, I'm not the best orator, but then essentially those are the three points that sort of led to the vision of creating performance support in this white space. 
No, I mean, it makes sense. You obviously, what's great is that it's a space that to an outsider is like slightly obscure, but you obviously have this very unique insight and well, well understanding of the space, which is exactly what a perfect startup formula, you know, has. You got a space that many people don't understand, someone that understands it and then dominates the hell out of it. So that's cool. <laughs> I do yeah. have a, a question that yeah. I am wondering and I bet a lot of the listeners are wondering, and I wanna, I wanna so people listening probably won't be able to see this, obviously, because you're listening, but what I'm putting on my head right now is an Oculus Quest, and it's wireless, <laughs> and it's awesome. And I'm kind of wondering, how do you think about it? Like, do you, is VR or AR or heads-up displays, is any of that kind of stuff, like, are you thinking about that? Or are you, um, are you kind of in a different category? Just how do you think about what's on my face right now for what you're, for what you're doing every day? <laughs> yeah, I, I think VR wouldn't be as big of an opportunity in our space. Uh, but I think AR has a huge uh, potential uh, input. For instance, like we're actually even coming up with like a few, um, or like just prototypes of like how... Uh, like information could be more streamlined without ha them having to go into a different device. So um, especially with work instructions and performance support, like AR functionality is, is absolutely, I think is going to, is going to take over in the next like 10 years. I, I think by 2030, you'll have adoption of AR. There's like, I think there's only like 3% of manufacturers who use AR in the manufacturing workforce right now. And those tend to be like bigger enterprises that are using like Microsoft HoloLens, uh, that connect to like a hard hat, but uh, in manufacturing, um, like globally, I think as the hardware gets cheaper, the adoption will obviously increase. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I actually want to like hang do I, on a scale from one to ten. I, anything you say is fine, but I'm, I'm just kind of curious. Do you know, um, like, do you have a unique insight on? this industry for AR like I feel like so yesterday I was listening to this podcast with um the guy who founded uh God, Palmer Lucky the guy that founded Oculus yeah and he's and he's uh and he's now working on this company I'm gonna screw up the name but I think it's called like Anduril something like that <laughs> uh -huh. and and uh, honestly well, first thing I want to get him on I mean there's no way he's gonna do the podcast but I want to get him on because I feel like he has a pretty shitty reputation but this guy is like literally a badass nicest guy like just like a, <laughs> a great a great person that I feel yeah. like doesn't deserve the reputation that he has um, which is unfortunate uh -huh. but the reason I bring him up is he he pretty much wants to turn every US uh, military uh, what's the word like I don't know. Anyone in the U.S. military, turn them from soldier to superhero and give them everything they need to like become a superhero and be an ultimate, ultimate soldier. And I'm kind of curious, is that, are you in a way trying to do a similar thing within your category in that if you are out in the field, if you're, you know, in a factory or warehouse or, or somewhere else, do you want to equip these people to like be superheroes in their own field? Or I guess, how do you see that kind of realm? That's actually a very good analogy, probably way better than I, I would have put it. But essentially, I, I think it's very similar because uh, the mission that we had set forth is is pretty much making sure that operators could fulfill their highest potential um, by giving them the tools necessary. So in a way, we're giving them like like an Iron Man suit, but just through software. 
Um, and essentially, like the way that uh, he puts it is is actually very eloquent and a lot more simple to understand is like you're creating a superhero out of uh, blue collar workers in their job and they're being able to complete their job and their task and their mission if you're a soldier in the best way possible at their highest potential by giving them the exact tools they need at the right time so it's about like timeliness and also like the exact like tools that you need like whether it's in learning and development um, for us in, in the context of performance sport it's like learning and development and um, uh, that's like one aspect of it and the other ones like how do I use all my gadgets uh, or my uh, all my features to 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 fully I, I guess I don't know fully accomplish what I need to do at the best of my ability I'm kind of curious. This is going to be the part of the podcast where we start to veer into obscure topics. I'm just warning yeah. you. We're just gonna we're just gonna bounce though. So I actually want to like hang out around this, not necessarily what Palmer is doing and what Anderil is doing, but I, I wonder: Are you do you do you, I mean do you do you, are you familiar with Anderil? Is that like a company where you think of similar companies to what you're doing? Obviously, totally different space, but it's mm. it is there's similarities between and it's not it's even like i would put superhuman in the same category um which obviously these three companies are like totally totally different from each other but you're just you're you're enabling superpowers to like that like that like superhuman gives superpowers to people that do email you're giving superpowers to people in the field and will give superpowers to people in, in the field in the army and, and the military um so i just i'm curious how do you think about like who do you see is in your same space in parallel industries um, if, if that's something you spend any, any time thinking about, I know you obviously are working on one company, but do you think yeah. about kind of the larger industries? Um, yeah, I think that's an interesting question. Like uh, uh, we actually did look at superhuman uh, for some inspiration. Uh, so that's, that's a good example. I'm just trying to think of like other ones that might, that might uh, be like similar in our space. Uh, there is, like cornerstone demand is that they're more like, I don't want to think in terms of like learning and development because that's very similar to what we're doing right now uh, right. just for the blue collar worker. But I want to think in like actual, like completely different industries. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's what I feel like I framed it. And like, I feel like the question is like a very hard question to answer because <laughs> I just like the way I framed it. But the reason I asked is just because this really, this really popped up on, on the last, on the last interview, literally like an hour ago, but I made, I pretty much made the analogy between, LPs, VCs, and founders, the same analogy to farmers, to, 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 to supermarkets, to consumers. And I'm like, it kind of blew my mind. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so many, like the world isn't, you know, at least business isn't that complicated after all. There's like obviously a shit ton of things going on, but there's parallels. And I guess in the, I guess what I'm wondering if you can think of like parallels, although I, I do think Anderil is a pretty good one. I'm, I'm honestly like, super fascinated by what by what they're doing over there this podcast is like fresh in my head anyways sorry i was kind of like went on a rant there um but i i so so i'm curious what do you think like what direction are you headed in with uh with with this company with work cloud i mean you you're you're fairly new uh actually can you give me an idea of when you started and kind of like what's uh yeah like what time did what what date or what year did you start this company yeah so uh we started this company like in december 2018 when we got into y combinator um or like i, I started before but it wasn't like a, officially a company we started like 
uh, working on it in October of 2018. And, and then um, we got a few customers uh, before we even got to YC. And then nice. when we got into YC, we got um, a few more customers. So I would say, to be honest, like this past year has just been a, like a huge learning experiment because we pivoted from our original vision of, a, of creating like a new generation ERP to performance support because we saw a bigger potential in terms of, uh, of like who could benefit. And, and, uh, and basically we were, we were like, all right, it seems like, like we interviewed 124 manufacturers at one point, like um, as we're assessing like different tools in the, in the MRP space, because MRP space is getting completely saturated. Um, someone will take over, but it's too fragmented um, right now. And uh, I was just thinking about the longevity of the company and longevity of like, what, what is something more useful in manufacturing that people could find immediate value in? Uh, and my dad included. And um, that's why I started focusing on employees and um, thinking about like, what would actually benefit them? And like, like you said, like uh, creating superpowers for them. That, that's like the great, I think I'm going to steal that. <laughs> um, but basically uh, we, we went through this year, just like interviewing people, like doing a lot of demos on MRP and, uh, out of like the 124 manufacturers that we just like interviewed, not as a sales call, just like as in general, like what their natural problems are. 92% of them said it was uh, employee performance. Um, how do I get my uh, employees more motivated to uh, to work harder so there's no turnover? Um, how do I prevent rework? And it's usually because of employee issues. Um, how do I create more cross training for operators, etc.? So there's a very like more of the issues were focused on employees rather than the actual process of, of their manufacturing process. So I found that interesting. And it also applies to not just manufacturing, it applies to anyone who has that support force, like I mentioned earlier. You mentioned and something then, in there. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go for it. So no, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I'm just, you mentioned something that I don't know if you meant to say you might, I don't know, but it was very fascinating. You said, how can you insist something around the lines of how can you incentivize workers to to work harder or work more so turnover goes down um yeah or so so can you can you kind of dive into can you explain what you mean there that, that's honestly interesting to me like yeah, pretty fascinating yeah so, so uh, i mentioned there's a labor shortage problem in within like deathless workforce and, and especially manufacturing because uh the average age of uh manufacturers around like 60 and uh, there's going to be huge turnover uh, in the next coming years. And the reason why there's uh, turnover is because there's no career progression or there's no career path to, to larger roles within the company. Uh, and it's because a lot of manufacturers don't know how to facilitate them. They, they think of their employees sometimes as just like an asset, like a machine. You know, you, you cycle through the machine, but then there's no resources to really help them hone in on how do I progress my employee's uh, career. Uh, like in a lot of white collar jobs, like especially in tech, there's always some sort of career path, right? And uh, that's why even though turnover, it, like the half-life of someone's job in tech is like two years, in manufacturing it's a little bit longer, but each turnover costs the company a significant amount of money because of the labor shortage. There's no one to take over that job. Uh, and that happens to my dad's company all the time. There's like a lot of turnover in certain sections or departments because they have no incentives. They have 
no motivation to actually perform to their biggest, uh, their best ability or like even hone in on their superpower, uh, for instance, because there's no, no incentive for them to do so. And the way that our software is trying to solve that is uh, we're taking in data and like we're performance tracking, right? So we could uh, assess like who is qualified to actually rise up the ranks, become a manager or production manager um, and create a career path for each of these individuals. And they have a platform where they could measure their individual performance and actually see how they're progressing month over month. And managers could see that as well. So it provides that incentive to reduce turnover. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I like that because it's actually something I am kind of experiencing in my own job. Actually, uh, I, for the first time and really ever, I like, I have a job and I'm not running my own company and, uh, it's just, it is interesting. The, the 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 more you work and the more incentivized you are to do like good work, the the more I feel like committed and longer term thinking you are about that company. And it just it just is interesting that like you what you said I just kind of align with personally. Um, and I feel like that's just across the board. That's just how it works. Um, it, you know, I guess that's two cases. Um, is have you what what have you learned? Um, it could be just about anything in regards to building work clout, but like specifically, if you can, have you learned anything about worker behavior or yeah, behavior like since build since, since, since building the software or just more so building this platform, I guess, what have you learned about, about your end users that you maybe didn't know when you first got started or just what have you learned about building companies? Um, I would say uh, to answer your first question, um, I, I guess, one thing I, I learned about like individual workers is <laughs> it, it's going to sound pretty harsh, but like they don't care about their job. Like I, like for a lot of them um, from what we, like when you go to the lowest levels, they tend to not care about their jobs uh, as much. And I, I think it's what we talked about. It's like, there's not, because there's no lack of motivation. They think of this as like just a means to an end, which I think a lot of people do like think of their jobs as means to end, means to end, especially if it's like, just a, a nine to five job and like, they're not really motivated to be there. Um, and it seems to be the case in a lot of manufacturing, right? Like they're, they're putting in their ears, they're just going through the day to day flow. But one thing that is interesting is uh, when, when there are incentives, like people who haven't even used our software, right? People like managers that really take care of their team and incentivize them to do better. Um, they're a lot happier. They don't think of it as a nine to five job. They, they think of it as like a lifestyle. Like I am a part of this. Like they, they wear the company's name on their sleeves and they're, they're, um, they're putting their heart in it. And, um, that's one of the reasons why we even, uh, like during one of our feedback, when we like listen to some of these managers and these operators talk to us, uh, we notice like a majority of people don't have, uh, like a good manager to lead them in the right direction to motivate them. But then there are a select few that are still there. Uh, and um, I think it's just human nature. It's not necessarily like specifically these types of workers or these type of things. I think it's just human nature, like to, to have incentive, whether it's like having a sense of ownership or having some sort of sense of like monetary incentive, you know, but I think sense of ownership is a stronger motivator than a monetary, um, uh, monetary incentives and that's something that we saw um, as an interesting trait when we were interviewing all these manufacturers and i guess and how do you running oh, yeah, sorry yeah, yeah keep, no 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 go for it you're about to okay. yeah keep keep going 
Yeah. And I guess in terms of uh, running a business of what I learned, like I'm still a novice, I would say like um, we raised our seed round and like a Y Combinator really helped us a lot uh, hone in and stuff. And I've created other startups, but I think um, the biggest things I've learned either from my dad, from like other um, people I've worked with uh, and even from my own personal experiences, I think uh, in the beginning stages, if you're thinking about starting a startup, it's really simple. <laughs> uh, just like talk to people um and build product that's like the only two things that um are really necessary and i'm pretty sure every yc company you talk to will say the same thing but um really have some sort of stake in what you're building like you have to really care about what you're building uh, i know it's probably a cliche answer uh, but I, I think a lot of times people just build because they think it's a cool idea but they're not really personally invested in the problem and i think the best founders that are personally invested end up becoming a lot more um, successful in the long run because they have the motivation to, to change that type of way. For me, it's my, my dad. Um, I want to see, like my dad's already successful in his, in my eyes and even in his eyes, but like, I want to be able to see him take his company to like, uh, like 10 X his level right now. And um, I, I, I am doing science experiments to help him figure that out with software, right? And I'm personally invested because like, I, I know like whatever software I create, I'm, um, it's gonna impact my dad and my dad's company significantly and hopefully um, impacts people's lives uh, and avoid displacement. Like I talked to one of, uh, I talked to um, a, a manufacturing son and he was saying that uh, his, his dad has been working at the same company for 20 years and his biggest fear is getting displaced by automation. And I want to be able to create a tool where automation can still exist and employee displacement doesn't have to. So, so I guess that's my spiel. <laughs> yeah, I'm into it. Uh, you, you don't know, you don't realize this, but you just opened up a pretty solid can of worms and the listener, the listeners know probably me. If you've been listening for a while, you know exactly where I'm going. But you, 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 you mentioned that you got people. You want you got to love what you're doing if you're going to start a company, and you shouldn't just start a company or specifically start a startup. I feel like you can start a company doing anything, but like a startup, I feel like there's a difference. And for a startup, you need to really, truly, intrinsically love what you're doing. And what I call this, I literally feel like I've brought this up like. 80 million times on the podcast and I will bring it up another 80 million times. I love the topic. It's being a missionary versus being a mercenary. And I, I did not coin this obviously like this has been around, but you got mercenaries who see a business opportunity and they're like, I can make money off that. Let's do it. And then you got missionaries who are like, I want to do this thing and that's it. And then they make it work. And maybe that thing's a billion dollar company, maybe not, but they are happy either way. And it's really interesting because I've been, I'm going to like rant for maybe a minute and we're going to like go back, but this is, it's really interesting you brought that up just because I recently have been into the idea of starting a VR, a distributed VR arcade. It was never possible before the Oculus Quest and we got sandbox VR and stuff. But now with the Oculus Quest, literally you could start a VR arcade any, in anyone's home. It could be mobile. And I've like almost started it. But then I realized, like, I don't give a shit about VR. I think it's cool. <laughs> like, I don't actually have an intrinsic motivation to spread VR to the world. In fact, I think I might have the opposite. 
So that was the lens that stopped me from pursuing this idea. Just because it could make a lot of money, just because it could be cool, doesn't mean I, I should do it. And so you know who should do that? Someone that loves the hell out of VR and has loved it before it was cool and will love it after it's cool. So <laughs> yeah. I don't know. What you just said is just like, it, it really hits me, honestly, like the mercenary missionary stuff. No, I, I completely agree because um, like, I've started a startup before where it was just, uh, it was more of like being a mercenary. Um, I was like, oh, this is a really cool idea. Like, I think people will love it, but I didn't love it, right? I was like, I would never use this. Um, it, it was like a, a, a renting app and like basically it was for college kids uh, uh, to rent things from each other. Um, horrible idea. It, it never scales. <laughs> any any renting um, platform you see doesn't necessarily work. Um, but I was just like, oh, this could be a cool idea for college kids. And, uh, and it ultimately it failed miserably because it was just – it was something that I didn't really care. <laughs> it was like, I just wanted to create something um, that I thought w would be cool. But um, going back to your point, like that's why I think this is a little bit different. The startups are different because it's uh, I'm more personally invested than I was in my previous startup. Yeah, definitely. That makes sense. Um, I have, I have a, a kind of a different direction question. It might be a question that you, you may not want to answer depending on like, I, I don't exactly know. I don't know, I'm just gonna ask it. So something, so I've been, so it's about Y Combinator and it's about, I, and this is like more of a self-indulgent question in that it's something that I've been trying to like figure out for myself for quite a while. At what point, so, so you went through YC and obviously you mentioned it was like super helpful. Is there a point that you think that a company is later, late enough stage or has a big enough network where they don't need something like YC? Or do you feel like YC is helpful in any stage pre-series A. I ask because it's something I'm like, like I don't know. It's something I'm thinking about. One, and I just would love to hear your thoughts if if you have any on that. Yeah, I, I guess it just depends on like what your end goal is, right? Um, like if I were to start a company, like I would definitely go through like YC again just for uh, helping me um, pretty much light a fire fire up under my ass, and then also. Uh, definitely it helps with like people that you meet in the batch and like these are connections that you'll meet for like your lifetime like you have a lifetime community uh but uh, i mean there's also another side of me that i wish like if i were to create a company and if it was very profitable then i would just want to keep it as profitable and like without any outside funding as long as possible because then i retain um most ownership and there's so much more there's like a different uh mindset in that like that I feel like it's it could become a big business, but like making it run profitably and not taking outside investment, obviously you're going to grow a little bit slower, and it's going to be like a more of a lifestyle thing. But then um, it could be potentially big. There's been plenty of companies that haven't raised a significant amount of money or any money at all and have become huge conglomerates. Um, and then, um, but then if you if you want to grow fast, like like if if you want to like grow in the whole growth mode. Um, I know there's some backlash coming um, about like profitability at the later stage. And I think that's just very obvious. I, it's weird how the backlash took so long to actually take into effect. Like uh, WeWork and all the soft bank companies, um, profitability was not something they were thinking about. But then I think uh, if, I, I think if you want to go the venture route, like there, you want to like have money come in, um, there's an expectation to grow faster. 
And also it means like growing, uh, you're losing a lot of the company at the same time, but it, it depends on like what, what you think. So to recap, if you want to grow slowly, profitably and um, have more of a lifestyle business, uh, then I, would, I wouldn't take outside money. I wouldn't go through Y Combinator. But if you want to grow, if you feel like you want to have like, like, like grow the company, um, like, I, like I guess attempt to grow the company to a billion dollars, then I would go with like going through Y Combinator because it's a lot easier to raise money when you have pre-validation as well. Um, when you don't have pre-validation, it's hard to raise outside money. Um, if no one's heard of you, unless you have a lot of traction. So it's, it's a good way when you have like not that much traction, but like good enough to get into accelerator, uh, to, to help you guide your journey and get you like a lot more warm leads coming, coming to invest in you. Yeah. I feel like if you are selling to startups, it's like a give it, it's like you should definitely do YC. Yeah. And it, which is a, you didn't even mention that because um, I, I like you're not really selling to startups. But I feel like the the biggest benefit in my view is like customer acquisition if you're selling to startups. Um, <laughs> but if you're, I guess like if you're not, I don't know. It's interesting. I, like I feel like when I first heard about YC, for me it was I gotta get like that's it. Like that's the mecca. Like screw even the exit. Like just get into like obviously this is like. A stupid mindset <laughs> but, but it's like get into yc and you've made I, it. I had that mindset too before so yep yeah and i feel like a lot of people do um you know because it's just what yc does but like over the last three years especially since starting this podcast i don't know if it's maturity i don't know if it's realizing that you know nothing's on a golden platter like everything has its pros and cons but i just like feel like i look at yc less uh wide-eyed and like oh my god i want to get in which I feel like still is a good thing because if, if you look at something gold, gold open eyed and you're like, I got to get in, then maybe it's the wrong intentions. But I'm just yeah. kind of grappling with this, like f figuring out my path, you know, and I feel like a lot of people listening also are figuring out their paths as well. Um, one other thing that I'm curious about in regards to YC, not specifically YC, but like something that they're involved with is the new school of the credential. So like, have you heard of Pioneer? Pioneer um, Fund? Or? Pioneer Daniel Gross's like tournament for makers. Uh, no, I, ha I haven't. What is that? Oh, yeah. Well, you should. Well, you should check out Pioneer. Pioneer is dope <laughs> as fuck. It's pretty much. So, so Daniel Gross was a, was a partner at uh, Y Combinator. Then he left, I think, like two years ago to start Pioneer. And it's pretty much they frame it as a remote accelerator. And it's kind of like a game and it has a leaderboard and it's, it's honestly really badass. It, it, if you want pretty much like, I mean, I don't know what it's like to be in YC, but I know with Pioneer, it pushes you to work hard every week because like you're, it's gamified. So check it out. It's mm -hmm. pioneer.app. Um, oh, and if you, want, if, if you want, if you want to give me, this is a great chance to plug my referral code. If you want to help me win on the <laughs> referral leaderboard, go to pioneer.app slash Matt Sherman, Matt with one T and that'd be cool. Anyways, um, <laughs> what, what pioneer pioneer winning, winning pioneer is kind of hard. Like I've been even trying to do it for a couple of years and I haven't, but a few people, like a bunch of people have, and it, that's a credential, right? And the teal fellowship is a credential. And this recent yeah. thing that started the cosine is a credential. And I, I, I've been bringing this up in recent podcasts because it's something I, I just think about a lot. Um, what are your thoughts on the modern day credential and uh, in, in 30 years, are we going to care more about a Harvard degree? Or are we going to care more about that you went to YC or were Teal Fellow? Do you have any thoughts on that world? Yeah, um, 
I actually, I actually did have, um, I, I, I've been sort of saying this ever since I was uh, in college that like the value of a college degree is like diminishing and it has been for like the past like um, 20 years. And it, it's all about like, um, like, like for me, it was more about like technical skills and um, in terms of educational wise, but I guess in terms of like, uh, like having that golden prize or um, having that accolade, accolade of, of prestige. Um, I, I think even like the accolade of prestige of like going through Y Combinator has been diminishing as well. Um, not necessarily it, like because of its program. I think it's just because like th there's a lot of batches now. There's a lot of companies in SF that are YC. Um, so like the batch size are getting bigger. So it's getting a little bit more saturated, but I, I think there might evolve into new one. I don't, I don't think it's just going to be Y Combinator Ethereal or accelerate accelerators. I think that's just like, um, it, it is almost like the same accolade as getting to Harvard, um, like at least like two to three years ago. But I think, uh, as, as, uh, companies grow, I think the accolade is going to be like how successful you are. <laughs> you know, uh, I feel like it's going to, it's going to, to diminish a lot, a lot more. Um, at least in my eyes. Well, like, something take uh, its place. Well, t well, something, uh, so, well, yeah, well, do you think a new, not necessarily a competitor to YC, that's not really what I'm in, uh, talking about, but like yeah. the, the credential, will, will, will something, will, will there be another credential that is as valuable as YC's was, you know, a decade ago or, or five years ago? Um, and I don't know, it's just the internet makes old credentials not as valuable yeah. and it creates its own credentials. And... I don't know. I don't know what I really, I don't know what I think about it, but I think it, something big is happening in that the fact of the matter, like, let me tell you one thing, like for this podcast, I do daily episodes. I, I probably interview 10 to 13 founders a week. I don't got to do any research. You know what I do? I find the five to 10 credible sources. Probably shouldn't make, I probably shouldn't make this live, but fuck it. I just like, I, I find sources of people that they're already vetted and then I just reach out to them and I, and it's, I use the credentials to my advantage because if they already have a slight credential, I know they already are pretty smart. And I just wonder what the future of that is, you know, like what's the future of credentials? I'm not, I don't, I'm not asking to have the answer, but do you, yeah. do you ever think about that stuff? I, I do. I do think about that. And like, um, like I was actually talking about this with my co-founders the other day. Like we we were saying like what what's like like the credential that you're talking about is I don't think it's gonna be um, like I think already college is slowly diminishing about like credentials. Like you could even see like big companies not even care about it anymore. Um, and then like YC is slowly on that path. Um, I like it's still a valuable program, but I think it's just uh, like that credential is not as powerful as it used to be. And then um, and then uh, I, I think what the next one might be i in, in my mind I, I i think the only replacement is going to be like actual like uh like as like i i think i read this report like 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 i'm part of the millennial generation but i think like gen z and stuff they care more about like proof points right not just um like what you got into not like some sort of credential of like where you got in and um it, I don't th see that as an accomplishment. I think that's like just a means to end. And I think accomplishments are going to be the new credential. Like, oh, well, how much, ha like, 
I, I even think like fundraising is almost like credential in, in some way right now, but I think in the future it's going to be like how successful, like what are the proof points that um, of the work you do, your work is going to be your credential. That's what I think at least. Yeah, that's awesome. I love credentials. I love, I love what's happening around them. I don't know. It just, it's just, it's just magic, man. I love the internet. I love, <laughs> I love the internet so much. Well, we are pretty much going over six o'clock right now. So I'm going to bring this conversation back to the standard path. Thanks for indulging for a second on just those random topics. Uh, I would say I have two questions left. Last, mm -hmm. Second to last question is you, let's say you, everything that you want to happen to work out happens and you raise a hundred million dollars and you, let's say you're just like crushing it and you're just, yeah. you're just annihilating the market in, in a good way, obviously. What does it look like in a decade or two decades? Like how big, I guess this is another VC style question, but like how big <laughs> could it get and what does it look like when it gets that big? Yeah. Um, so what I'd imagine is uh, every, like more than just like industrial sectors, I think like uh, it, it start off with industrial sectors, but I think uh, we'd create our own original content around technical skills um, at, within the industrial space. Um, so like that's one thing that we want to push for is like learning development is like uh, as big as it, like, like in 10 years from now, um, we'd be the one central platform where, um, where blue collar workers or any type of workers could um, develop their own skill within the industrial spaces. Um, and that would probably be driven by a lot of original content um, that we create and like by hiring people in the industries and creating like almost like a mini Netflix um, for industrial spaces or like a master class in industrial spaces, which doesn't exist today. Yeah, that's awesome. And to make that happen, you obviously need a good amount of help just like mm -hmm. any founder, any, any founder needs, they need help. And you got all these people listening that are ready to help. They're probably hearing what you're, what you're working on. They're like, holy shit, how can I help and get my hands on this future that you're building? <laughs> so my question to you is how can we help? How can the forward thinking founder communities help? What's an ask that you have for us that we can help you out with? If you know any manufacturer, any industrial like construction company or, uh, anyone that works in the blue collar space, um, uh, email me at arjun at workclout.com, A-R-J-U-N at workclout, W-O-R-K-C-L-O-U-T.com. And um, I'm happy to give them uh, some software. <laughs> All right, there you have it. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We went in a bunch of different directions, just like just like the good ones do. So appreciate you hanging out and, uh, and, and jamming for a bit. And that would be an interesting name for a podcast. I'm not going to change the name, but just like jamming. Just bam. What if that was just the name? Anyways, that's for another episode. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Best of luck with WorkCloud and keep up the good work. Bye.